0: blog talk radio <laughs> The Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Calm Pock Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of the Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, author of the Chicken Whisperer's Chicken Factor Chicken Poop Book, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds Program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Each week, we welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, composting, and a lot of other things, including living a self-sustaining lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and of course, subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all-natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, Feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at Kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K A L M B A C H feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. All right, thanks for staying with us today. Um, I've got a couple of uh, announcements, host chat, I guess we call it. And then I'll go to our first commercial break, and then in a few minutes, Peter Brown will call in. Got a great show lined up for you today. Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, is going to be joining us. And uh, I've uh, received several questions via email and on my Facebook page that we're going to cover today during the show. If you have any questions for Peter Brown, the Chicken Doctor, you too can call in, and we can address those, 347-637-3237. That's three four seven six three seven thirty two thirty seven so I want to get first started with this um, federal public information um request that I made uh, about six or seven months ago to the c d c Center for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, regarding um, them releasing the names of the hatcheries that were named in the 2016 salmonella outbreak, which happened to be the largest in history uh, related to backyard poultry, i.e. mill or hatcheries. And uh, just, just to make sure this is clear, I'm not doing this uh, to bash anybody or to give anybody a black eye. Uh, everybody knows on the planet that I have done more to pro- promote backyard poultry and the hobby uh, and the lifestyle than anybody on the planet. Um, and I don't even think that can be challenged. I've I've helped more people around the country get laws changed successfully to allow job portrait than anybody on the planet. I know that's not going to be contested, uh, and um, so this is about I guess the end goal is to have the hatchery owners. I'd like to interview them, uh, have them come on their show even, and uh, have us uh, have hear from them. Tell us um, why they think this happened, ha- how they think it happened, um, and mainly what they've done to prevent it from happening again or to try to prevent it from happening again. And now if they do participate in the Salmonella Monitor Program through MPIP. Uh, so it's just a matter of I think they can come on and um, let the folks know. I mean, it could be a, uh, this could be a perfect example. Well, um, we did uh, last year contract with an outside source for some chicks and uh, these chicks were just drop shipped. So, yes, you went to our website, you ordered our, uh, these chicks from our website, you sent us the money, but we paid this other hatchery, a supplier, money to drop ship from their hatchery chicks to you. And that's where the salmonella came from. None of our breeding stock, none of our chicks that we actually produced. But so, so that's an example that they could come on and say if that happened to be uh, the case. Uh, and hey, you know this is, and, and we don't, we no longer use them as a source. Maybe that would be an answer that would um, uh, make their customers or future customers happy. Maybe it would be, hey, we visited them. Uh, we've, we've made suggestions with CDC and the State Department of Ag and blah, 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 to try to correct this problem or prevent it from happening again. And they now they do now participate in the Salmonella Monitor Program, which they have to take five samples every month and send it in. And it checks for all forms of Salmonella that can infect humans. Um, and so, hey, they participate in that now. Nobody wanted this to happen. We don't want kids sick, and we're doing everything we can to help. So that's kind of the end goal. So anyway, after about six months... Um, I, a couple of weeks, three weeks ago, probably, I had sent an email and said, "Look, this is getting ridiculous. Uh, we're only talking about a handful, you know, maybe five or under hatcheries uh, and their suppliers." And I know it can probably give it, be given to me over the phone in a matter of a two-minute phone call. Um, that, you know, what, what's taking so long? This is kind of ridiculous. And um, um, I guess within that week, I did hear back, and they stated that everything is now in order, and they are going to send me. Uh, 101 pages of information due to or related to this last year's outbreak, salmonella outbreak. And I was like, 101 pages to tell me, you know, trees and their supplies. Whatever. It's government. I understand. So I received uh, both via uh, FedEx um, and email uh, 101 pages of information all related to the outbreak last year. And out of those 101 pages... None of the information I requested was there. <laughs> not, not one hatchery, not one supplier. In fact, all of that information was actually blacked out. Uh, and, and they said, again, uh, we, we are going to give you 101 pages of stuff, um, and but we had decided to with, withhold some information. I didn't know what that meant at the time. Now I do. All the information I asked for. <laughs> so uh, I looked at the 101 pages, not totally in detail. I mean, it even had all... Are, are, are a lot of the number of the people who were infected's names. I don't care about that. I don't need that. So I get that with the privacy issue. It had uh, and it did have information that showed me about the different swabs and the different salmonella it came up with and the chicks they ordered, how many chicks they ordered, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's 101 pages of in-depth information, except for what I asked for. Uh, now that I don't care about the 101 pages of information, but it just wasn't anything I was really looking for or to ask for that would really make any difference. So, but now I've got that information. So I looked at the um, exemption that they used as an excuse not to release the names of the hatcheries and their suppliers. There were a couple there. One was um, obviously not releasing information due to um, uh, the medical necessity type stuff. So, so, yeah, that the people's names who were infected that anyway didn't care about that. I um, have all the other information, just not their name. Um, so that's fine. didn't have a problem with that. Um, but the other was um, had to do with releasing uh, like for example uh, trade secrets like if I was requesting the secret recipe at uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken or KFC if I was requesting the secret recipe to this um, this that or the other it's not a trade secret uh, the name of uh, the hatchery Uh, also information that was given during the investigation that may be deemed financially harmful so like maybe they have um, some information that they developed or secret information that somebody, if it became public, another hatchery could take advantage of and, and increase profits. Their profits may decrease in this, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, but the, the name of the hatchery is something that was found through the investigation, through trace packs, through tracing these birds, their DNA, the, the strains of salmonella and all that, back to uh, from where they bought them, the little feed store, and where the feed store ordered them from, back to the hatchery, and then from the hatchery where they, if they uh, were... Um, outsourced uh, for dropship or something. This was not any information that was given by the hatchery itself. Um, and it has nothing to do – And you know, this is public information. The name of the hatchery is probably in a phone book. It's probably online. It's not anything that's hidden, trade secret or anything like that. So I, I called uh, CDC back and I said, look, uh, I even went to the Department of Justice uh, and, and looked up this exemption and read all about it, though I'm no attorney, and I said, this, this in my opinion anyway, doesn't apply and I gave my examples of this, um, and I even questioned them on, you know, if, if this exemption has been in place for a long time, um, well, apparently you all have been violating this exemption as well, if you're going to use it now, uh, because for the last 15 years, you've released the names of the hatcheries. The last two years, you haven't. So you're, you're saying you're not going to release them now because of this um, exemption, but the exemption's been in place since however many years ago, but y'all still released it. So so you can't, now you're trying to fall back on something that y'all violated for the last 50. So anyway, kind of long story short, um, they, they called me back. They said, yes, we have investigated this. We have looked into it. Our team here um, at um, the, I guess, the team that, at CDC that handles the public information requests. And they said, um, we have decided that we are going to give you uh, a portion of the information you have requested. And and they went on to kind of explain, didn't point out, but kind of explain, uh, beating around the bush, what they were going to give me and what they weren't. And so at the bottom of the line of the conversation, I said, um, okay, so what it sounds like you're telling me <laughs> is that I'll get the names of the hatcheries, but not their Suppliers, because maybe their suppliers would be detrimental to maybe um, another hatchery knowing who they order from, you know, that type of thing, or where their chicks may come from, due to competition in other hatcheries. So, so, and, and that's fine with me. Uh, so that, that's a good compromise. That's a fair compromise, I think. So um, because if we know the name of the hatcheries, we can invite them on. And then we, and then they have the option to say, hey, these chicks weren't even from us. We outsourced these. They were drop And we don't even use them anymore. So that's how we're trying to solve this problem from happening again, if that may be the case. Um, so that was fine with me. And so basically uh, the CDC uh, told me, they said this is the process now. Um, we are going to contact the hatcheries. We will make contact with them. We will explain to them that we are planning on uh, and have decided to release this information, uh, release their names in association with this public information request that they were named in this Salmonella outbreak. Um, and if they don't want us to do that, then they can sue us. That was his that was his quote. That's his terminology. It wasn't, well, then he'll have to contact us or fill out this form or we'll have to discuss this or blah, 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 blah. No, it was strictly pretty much word for word. Um, we're going to contact them. We're going to give them five days to respond. Uh, and <clears throat> if they don't want this information released, just sue us. And that's what basically the letter is going to say. So maybe somebody will take them up on that. Maybe they won't. I don't know. I feel like I'm a little bit closer uh, to obtaining this information uh, where I can share it if I choose to share it. And um, my first plan of action is to contact the hatchery owners themselves and uh, explain everything and then ask them if they'd like to make a statement. Um, the interview on over the phone, or even come on the show live, and we can talk about it, and they can explain again, my ultimate goal is to how they think this happened, why they think this happened, um, how they're fixing the problem, what things they've implemented to fix the problem, and if now they participate in the um, Salmonella monitor program through MPIP to try to prevent this uh, from from happening so um that's where we stand uh, this week would be the five days. I think they will have probably contacted everybody Monday. And then they have five days to respond, and then, so maybe sometime next week, um, um, if everything pans out, I'll receive that information. Uh, and then I can kind of proceed with my plans of contacting them and so forth, which we just discussed. So just keeping you up to date on the federal public information request that I submitted uh, to get this information. And... Um, uh, I'll post again on the Facebook page when and if I receive that and keep you up to date. So other than that, I wanted to share that with you.
1: Um,
0: as far as any upcoming tours, um, I will be in the Northeast, <laughs> uh, probably between April 10th and May 10th. Uh, in states that have been mentioned to me for a tour, Uh look like uh, Delaware, um, Virginia, uh let's see um maybe west virginia uh pennsylvania um i think up to new hampshire i don't think we'll go any further than new hampshire oh new york maybe new jersey um and uh but in in that northeast kind of corridor area but i don't think we'll be going any further north than uh new hampshire that's far enough north but um So, yeah, looking forward to that tour with Kalmbach, And, of course, as we get the dates and times and locations, we'll be posting that uh, a little later. The book's coming along grand, the Fact or Chicken Poop book. And um, we're looking forward to that released in uh, 2018. So let's get on with the show. We've got Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor. And as soon as we get back from our first break, we'll bring him on. And I've got a whole list of questions here that were emailed to me and posted on our Facebook page for him. And uh, it's Open Mic Day with uh, Peter Brown, the Chicken Doctor. Hadn't had one of those in quite some time, so we're looking forward to that. So uh, stay with us. Get that pen and paper out to take some notes. When we come back, we'll welcome Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor. So stay with us. Tasty Grubs by Tasty Worms Nutrition are the original dried black soldier fly larva made right here in the USA. Tasty Grubs are high in protein and calcium, vital nutrients for laying hens. Customers have reported an increase in shell quality, egg taste, and a reduction in molting time. For a limited time, get a bag of Tasty Grubs 100% free. Simply enter tastyworms.com forward slash whisper into your web browser and add one to your cart today save 10 percent on all other products such as dried mealworms by entering the coupon code whisper at checkout that's tastyworms.com forward slash whisper ideal poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937 their business is built on customer service and quality poultry, from rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams. Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at idealpoultry.com. That's idealpoultry.com. When you need an incubator, think Brensey, the incubation specialists. Brensi has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A dot com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pins for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com, that's w-a-r-e-m-f-g-i-n-c.com, or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com.
1: And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky You'll know it's Super Chicken
0: Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond And you're listening to Backyard Poultry With the
2: Chicken Whisperer
0: All right, thank you very much For staying with us today um, I've got the uh, news um, Trickling in here um, As we speak And it looks like that President Donald Trump has just signed another executive order uh that states Friday shall now be known as an official fishing day for all of Americans. So we are taking Friday off, folks. That's it. It's an official executive order. We Friday is now an official fishing day. So this Friday, tomorrow it's it's that's it. This is, it's in it's in pen and paper now up in D C. So tomorrow's fishing we're going fishing tomorrow. Uh, we will not be here. If you call, you'll get my voicemail. Uh, it is now executive order that tomorrow's fishing day. How about that, Peter Brown? <laughs>
2: for only true. <laughs> I know it.
0: I know it. Come on. So, uh, yeah. oh my
2: goodness, yeah. <laughs> fishing day tomorrow. Hey, I have a question for you. I have a question for you before we embark on this uh, program here. What is the difference between them giving? Outright, the information um, you know, of who the hatcheries were, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I can maybe see you know where they source their their chickens from. Uh, I don't see that being as big an issue as the hatchery itself, because regardless of where the chickens come from, the, the chicks, uh, the hatchery is responsible. Period. Um, that was you a know, point. it. it Make from the hatchery down to the where they got them from. They're still going to go back. And what the big deal is about exposing their names versus salmonella and their and their, uh, their their chickens or the turkeys. I remember they took Foster Farms to the cleaners out in California, and I don't know enough about the case itself, but if they found it, they found it, so rightfully so. But that was all over the news. That was anywhere and everywhere, and keep pounding on them. So I, it seems to me like um, somebody's pushing a different wagon here, and it doesn't smell very good. It smells like it's got a lot of manure in it. <laughs> There's been a
0: lot of I don't know the guess the correct terminology, a lot of rat holes that have opened up. I've, I've gone down uh this one, I've gone down that one, I'm like, mm, that would be make a good story for after this is all over and this would make a good story. Um, and it is interesting that it seems like the food producers because I, I use that, I'm like, you know, when uh Bluebell ice cream had these listeria outbreak, it was bluebell this, bluebell yep. that, bluebell the and then, and then the, the Skippy peanut butter, I think it was, um, that had, I think it was Skippy, that had the, the salmonella a few years back, and and um, mm-hmm. people went to check that um that. But you know, that was announced for it was what it was, it was Jack in the Box a long time ago with the burgers, and yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it seems like exactly food source. Food source. They they they're quick to, to put the name out there, but when it's maybe animal sourced or something like this, they they are not. I. Them. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been hammering that as well. Also, people know I've talked on the show about if you go to the CDC's website. And again, I have a great relationship with them uh, and the USDA, and I point a lot of things out, and they're like, you yeah, wow, we need to look at that because you make a very good point, which is good. Um, but like um, when it says everything that they post says uh, some largest salmon outbreak related to backyard poultry. Well, that's very deceiving. That's almost a black eye for us because it's it's sure. Male hatcheries. I think it should be at least add that in there. You know, largest salmonella outbreak related to mail order hatcheries. And then it's even even though we know we have a long way to go to get people from stopping kissing their chickens, hugging the chicken, that's if you look at all these swabs and the interviews of these people, they they admit kissing the chicken, hugging the chicken, sleeping with the chicken. I mean, it's just insane, um, uh, and close contact with the chicken, that kind of stuff. But um, but it's uh, when they do the swabs and trying to figure out. But it's um, so no, we're not we're not innocent here by, by the, the number and how, how it spreads, but it's almost like the backyard folks can't even get a fair shake. We can't even get a fair start if we even do somewhat good biosecurity if we're receiving tainted goods. So I've said, why, why are you pinning this on backyard poultry? Yeah, the chicks end up there, but it, it really, in my opinion, maybe should read us salmonella outbreak related to mail order chick hatcheries or mail order hatcheries um, just because they right. end up in the backyard. It's not a backyard uh, outbreak, I guess, or at least, you know, at the, so it's almost like you're, you're everybody's, all oh, these backyard pea chicken people and they're hugging their chickens and they're just guessing their chickens and all this. But if you, if, even if you have somewhat good, try to do bo- good biosecurity, you, you forget to wash your hands out one day. You, you're receiving tainted goods. You can't even get a fair shake to start off with.
2: Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I fully, I fully agree with what you're saying, but uh, I, I, you know that's the i i i think it's it's all on purpose and i think that the the uh, stonewalling you is just just part of that that whole purpose behind it and uh, uh and it may be an unintentional purpose too but it it just seems to me that you know uh in the backyard sector um it is difficult to get anybody's ear um certain states right. uh you know veterinarians have, uh, in the in the state the state veterinarians have made uh, statements in the past that if it were up to them. There wouldn't be any backyard chickens. This predominantly comes from, from uh, poultry, uh, heavy poultry states. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, the, you know, the new uh, antibiotic ruling, uh, who's it really hurt at the end of the day? Does it hurt the commercial poultry industry? Not one bit. They didn't have a vet before. They go and hire one, and they pass the cost on to you. Um the, the small flock holder, uh, backyard individual, uh, uh, not so much. Um, even if they get a vet to see the see the birds, how many times have have been down that rabbit hole? Uh, right. You know, you, you get a, a big huge bill and, and dead chicken, and uh, right. um, you know. So I, I just see it being aimed as as um, you know, trying to uh, you know push the uh, the backyard people out. The state I live in here, uh, to a bunch of asshats they uh, uh they just come out with some new regulations i have to read it and then throw it in the trash cuz i'm not interested it's just garbage and it's all designed now they're already talking about you know limiting uh, avian influenza and all that kind of stuff so this is again swabbing birds coming across you can't have this you can't uh, just going to keep tightening the noose until everybody decides that chickens are cute but too expensive to do and that's that's uh yeah. you know it takes a while all this stuff takes takes a while to uh but I'm going to tell you something. You have one more huge outbreak of avian influenza in this country, and chickens won't move anywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, people don't think they have the right to come onto your property. The law's on their side. Trust me. They will come in and depopulate you in a heartbeat, and uh, nothing twice about it. And you don't yes. have any say whatsoever. Yeah, and it's funny that um, a, a lot of folks will,
0: when I post something, will point their finger. I mean, again, directly to the the federal agency, CDC, they just don't want backyard chickens. to want backyard chickens. But it's the, really the only person where you live that can ban chickens in your state is the state vet, the State Department of Agriculture. And, and I've seen that during this investigation, calling all the agencies, is that, well, the CDC wants this, I think, the hatchery names out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they're getting pressure from the states, the State Department of Ag, the state uh, vet, uh, not to do that. Um, and, of course, maybe the hatcheries uh, as well. Very interesting. I made a post uh, a couple of weeks ago that said um, that um, we identified the states and then uh, that uh, that, in that very statement, I guess, that the states and probably the state vet or the state ag department are trying to keep keep it maybe hush-hush. So, um, yeah, you, just, uh, you ha- would have to look at the state that you're in if you think that, Somebody is not wanting backyard poultry. That state vet is the one, state department of ag where you live. Uh, the, US, the CDC doesn't have that power that, to do that, even if they wanted to, uh, to ban you know, oh no, chickens in the state anymore. So anyway, there'll be more to come, and we'll we can we'll have probably have several shows on this and different things that that have opened up and during you know trying to find out this information and whatnot. So, but uh, hopefully it was just an observation
2: uh, as I was listening to to your intro on it and. Uh, I thought about that, and I said, you know, what about uh, Jack DeCosta with all his problems with uh, – I can't remember the name of the outfit that he had out there in Iowa and several other places. They, you know, and and rightfully so. I mean, you know, they took him to the cleaners, but his name was Front Page News, you know, on the evening news. And now that's big time, you know. Right. And uh, so why not everybody else? And that affected, the, the you know, the economy of the state where he was operating out because it shut it all down. Right. So, um, you yeah, know, anyway. Get off my horse! Exactly. Here and <laughs> I some questions questions. one of those things.
1: Yeah,
0: I got some questions that were sent to me, and I, I kind of have them a little bit in order based on uh, kind of as as I receive okay. them via email yeah. on Facebook. And so we'll start kind of at the, the chick level and then go up. But this is a great question. Okay. It's very timely because it's the first of the year. And it says, "I'm ordering chicks this spring." This comes to us from Sarah. I'm ordering chicks this spring. What vaccinations do you recommend, Peter? If any, I think she added in. The if any,
2: okay, and, and that is a good question, and I have a—I a, um, uh, hate to use the word canned answer to it—but uh, it's actually quite simple. Um, from my perspective, vaccination should be determined. To take them to the county fair, uh, which in many instances the county fairs are just loaded with all kinds of uh, of, of issues. Um, the um, lab director here uh, has has uh, been to you know some of the different venues around uh, in our neck of the woods here, and uh, uh, constantly picking up you know LT uh, mycoplasma and so on. So that that would be your your risk um, uh, as far as as that's that's concerned. The other would be um, uh, you know exposure. Where are they going to get the exposure from? Either through the risk that you take by taking them to shows or or um, uh, farm expos and all these other little things they go to, and the county fairs and and, and what have you. So, if you don't have much risk, um, because some of the vaccines can be more of a headache uh, than than they're worth. Uh, for instance, I had I um, uh, was away at a way to show um, the uh, 12th, 13th, 14th of of, um, of uh, January here up in New England, the the, the Poultry Congress. And one of the speakers uh, was talking about coccidiosis and a couple other things. And he was a big fan of the coccidiosis vaccine that I sell because he was tremendously successful with it. But he also had a lot of birds. And he's also mm-hmm. anal. Okay. So he will follow the directions to the, to, to the letter. And, you know, I don't mean that in a bad way. You know, he will, you know, if it says, you know, uh, you know use one ounce of water, he's going he's gonna to use one ounce of water right on the money. And he's not going to fudge it. Where uh, which a lot of people uh would do with vaccines uh which end up causing them grief, so make a long story short. several people came over to my my uh sales area and wanted the vaccine and um uh, you know, I just laid it out for them. I said, you know how many chicks do you have I said five I said well vaccine's seventy bucks, so that 's a lot of money for five chicks sure. or five birds. I said, what do you intend to do with them Well just you know pets and this and that." I said, yeah, you'd be better off with a bottle of sulfidimethoxine and a bag of amprol and just, you know, look for the symptoms. And when you see any symptoms, treat them right away. You know, I went through, Mm -hmm. you know, like we do on this show, lots of things. We go through all the signs and the symptoms and everything else. And, and, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, if, if the chicken looks like it's a little lazy today, they're not like us. They're not taking off today. They're not phoning in. They're not coming in. I said, they're sick, and that's the time to get on it, you know. And, you know, I think being reasonable, you know, um, just depends on, on what she's going to do. If she feels that she needs to vaccinate, um, the only thing that I would consider vaccinating for would be Merrick's disease, and that's it. If she's planning on selling chicks and that kind of thing, some people want don't want birds that have been vaccinated for Merrick's. Um, uh, I don't recommend LT to anybody unless they are going to have a, a high risk for it, uh, fairs and shows and that kind of stuff. Um you know, she's gonna be swapping birds out left and right. She might, to, she might want to look at it. Not only that, the invitation is always there. She can call me. 410 And uh you know I'll be glad to counsel her on it personally. She can tell me all the ins and outs of what she plans to do. But generally speaking, um I would recommend not doing a whole lot as far as vaccination is concerned. Um because even a Newcastle bronchitis—it uh, it is, it is not a big problem in backyard, small flock holder situation chickens. So don't make it one by inviting it in. Uh, it's a live virus vaccine, uh, has a tendency to uh, cycle through the flock continuously, um, can interfere with egg production, can interfere with breeding. Um, you know, one might say, well, gee, so all that trouble—why do they, you know, why do they bother to use it? Because they have to use it. You don't necessarily have to. You're guarding against something you may never see in your flock in your lifetime. So I, I don't think that you know I would uh, be interested in doing uh, the Newcastle bronchitis um, from my own perspective uh, and the perspective of uh, one of the head researchers at the uh, you know, U.S. Department of Agriculture Avian Oncology Laboratory, East Lansing, Michigan. Uh, Is uh, you know in my discussions with with him. Uh, a vaccinated bird is better off than a non-vaccinated bird when it comes to Marek's disease. Plain and simple, straightforward, irregardless of what people may read about leaky vaccines, blah, 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 means nothing to you as an end user. It means more to somebody on the commercial end where they've got a lot of birds and, and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, and so, just you know, yeah. you, hear, you hear Merrick a lot, you hear, uh, fowl pox a lot, you hear, and then they're like, well, it's only going to cost me a quarter per bird to do it, and I think at the end of the day, what I hear most from you, and and all the other experts we have on the show is that you know, if you're if you're going to have a, a, relatively closed flock, then yep. you there might be no need at the end of the day to do any of this, uh, closed flock, yep. you, like you said, not shows, not you aren't going to be on tours, just all that kind of just you know, it's you yourself your eye, you yourself and I backyard in backyard instant. you know, exactly.
2: You may not yep. have to do any of uh, that. And no. You know, speaking of pox, I kind of left that one out maybe a little bit, but it's it's not a very, it, a lot of people don't vaccinate for it, but if you're in an area where you have, uh, a, again, risk, mosquitoes, some areas of the country uh, don't have as big a, a risk factor as others. Uh, you know, if you're in the south where it stays warmer longer usually during during the year, Um most people think that mosquitoes die off uh, uh, with the, uh, the frost and the cold weather. They don't. They winter over, kind of like some butterflies do. And um, that's why on a, uh, on a nice, warm, 60-degree December day, you can actually see mosquitoes. We have them here. And uh, what you've done is brought them out of their little hibernation thing where they've been sitting Waiting for warmer weather, and when the warmer weather came along, it just fooled them, and out they come. Usually need a couple of days of of warm weather like that, but then they'll they'll come out seeking their blood meal. And mosquitoes, uh, by by and large, uh, the the last ones left at the end of the season. Mosquito season, uh, you know, they uh, actually look for a carbohydrate meal versus a blood meal to keep to sustain them for the for the winter. So again it's it's a risk factor if you're in uh, Florida and you know Louisiana and uh, even here where I live it, where you got we've got a lot of low-lying wetlands and swampy areas and that kind of stuff uh, it's something that I would uh, strongly consider I would and generally now the uh it's not such a big problem in the in the commercial industry anymore um, because of vaccination but they have moved away from vaccinating birds very early so We've had a lot of mergers of vaccine companies and and those vaccines that those people uh, were producing for young birds. So a young bird pox vaccine was a very mild vaccine that could be used as early as day one. They are no longer available, okay? So you have to wait till at least five to six weeks and use the older bird. Not a problem. You just have that five to six-week exposure, but that is readily available at this point in time, Okay. But I, I would consider that. And, again, it's a, it's a risk factor.
0: You know, It's a risk factor. Okay. We'll move on to number two here. Oh, actually, hang on. Let me go back over here. I think we have a phone call. Uh, and we'll go to the phone lines, actually, next. Callers get first sure. preference here. Um, area code 407. You are on the air. State your name, the state you're calling from, and your question for Peter.
3: Hi, this is Lisa from Florida. I have uh, two questions. Uh, okay. My questions are about spurs and toenails. I keep having people call me and ask me about removing spurs from their chickens because I raise chickens, and I always tell them I don't off off the roosters, and I tell them I don't remove the spurs. But is there a time that you should remove the spurs? Because now I'm getting a Rhode Island Red rooster that's between four and five years old, and one spur broke off when he was very young, and I tried to fix it, and it still came off. The second spur is getting really long and hitting him in his other leg, and I'm not sure what to do about it. And I know Doc has a lot of roosters.
2: <laughs> and all mine have huge spurs. I'm not a fan of, of cutting them off um, so much. Uh, I happen to like them. I think they enhance the beauty of the bird. Um, that being said, uh, there's a number of methodologies that people use. The uh, uh, the potato method, putting a potato on it and twisting it off, um, seems to to be one that's uh, fairly popular. Um, I've
3: heard that, but I wasn't even sure exactly what they were doing, sticking a hot. Yeah, I've potato. never done that. I,
2: I yeah, I've I've usually, uh, in actuality, truth be told, I've never really removed a spur in th- that kind of fashion. I've always. Uh, either like them on the bird or when it was necessary to trim them, uh, you know, you can trim off the end. And, and, uh, um, you know, if you trim it down too far and it bleeds a little bit or something like that, just, uh, you know, I, 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 I... a soldering iron, a wood-burning tool, a knife that's been put over a uh, an open flame uh, cigarette lighter or whatever, just enough to make it nice and hot, and then just dab it on the end and quarterize and it should take care of it. But you can use a Dremel tool to take them down and just kind of sand them a little bit, and uh, uh, I would probably cut off some of the excess first. And, uh, you know, from, from my perspective, my birds actually curve around, and I keep them um, about oh maybe three quarters of an inch from curling back around and hitting their leg so i keep trimming them back trimming them back and uh, that seems to work for me and i and i like it i mean they they don't get caught on anything uh um they seem to be happy and and uh, my birds turned 17 years old this year oh wow uh, yep the majority of not all of them trim off um on that i trim off about a half to three quarters of of an inch seems to be okay with these birds um because the spurs are quite long. They actually come out the back of the leg and curl all the way around in a big loop right back to the leg itself. And uh, so the distance between the leg and the end of the spur, uh, I keep anywhere from, you know, half inch plus three-quarters of an inch. Just trim it off every now and then. And it works out for us real well. Um, toenails, the same the same thing. You know, you trim them back a little bit. Uh, you, you can... You can actually do the same thing with a Dremel tool, uh, which I actually like better, uh, and just round off the edges. You could do the same thing with with long spurs if you round off off the edge. The chances of them, you know, stabbing you with it, are, are going to be a lot less. But uh, I don't know. I I'm I'm a big fan of the less you do, uh, and the less invasive you are with a lot of things, uh, the the happier and healthier everybody is. Birds are not traumatized by things. Um, you know. Uh, My flock here, albeit they're small at this time, we've got 12 birds left. Um, They're, I think, the youngest one now. He's five, and the rest of them are all up between that. There's six of them, five, six of them that are 17, and they go down from there to, uh, he's the youngest at five. I think the next one's up is somewhere between nine and ten, and I do nothing for them, nothing. No vitamins, electrolytes in the water, no oil of oregano, Nothing. They don't even get wormed. They're outside. And I, I attribute it to the fact that, you know, we have de-stressed this flock uh, over the years as much as possible. And uh, um, by taking the stress away from them, you know, we, we've we uh, made their environment such that it's ha- they're happy and they're healthy and, uh, you know, no fighting. And, and they just go off into little groups and sunshine outside with the four cats. And uh, so... Uh, don't get me wrong if there was something wrong with them i would do something for them these guys live the life of riley you kidding me you know they get all the food they they can waste and all the clean fresh water they can drink every day and it's their choice to go outside i leave my suite of heaters on 24 7 during the winter months when it's cold and uh, they're economical to run it's a pain in the neck to turn them on and off you forget and this and that this way i don't forget it doesn't you know so it, it's it's a degree of happiness, I think, um, and I know you didn't ask that question. I'm telling you, but that's I I believe the least you do, the better off you are. Um, but if you if you need to cut it back, I would just keep cutting it back, and if it bleeds a little bit, quarterize it. That's what I would do.
3: Is there anything that um, I guess contributes to the longer toenails? Because I'm getting it in old English game bantams and my silkies. They're getting really long toenails, and I didn't know whether that was. Bothering them to walk, you know, and they're getting stuff filled it, up on the toenails with the silkies, and I had to yeah, break, I I, would, it all I off. would I
2: would cut them, yeah I would cut them back a little bit and you know um, it's hard to say especially with with silkies, with the the toes toenails being usually black you know, seeing where the where the vein is and that kind of thing but it's no different than cutting them back on a dog same thing mm-hmm. you cut too far back on a dog it's going to bleed same thing with them so I I would I would you know just round them off. You can use a nail file for that matter. It's, it's, um, you know, they, they're going to continue to grow. I mean, if that's the question you're asking, I mean, it's. I don't. You know, there may be some genetics related to uh, one toenail I guess that was uh, on, where on, I was
3: going. Was there anything in their feed that might be contributing more to you know those particular birds getting the really long toenails?
2: I, I really don't think so. I think it's a matter of uh, um, also the, the, you know, the. And tear that they might be uh, be getting in a barnyard versus maybe not getting it, uh, you know, not digging and scratching as much and wearing it down, um, you know, and that kind of thing. So, I don't know of anything in particular that would be in their feed that would be, uh, you know, a factor that would make them grow abnormal compared to, uh, the, you know, another feed or or whatever. Okay. But I would just I would just trim them back if you feel it's interfering and they're picking up more manure on their on their feet. Uh, I, w- I would trim it back and start with a small amount, and if that works, uh, trim it back another small amount. You know, maybe uh, d- depending on the size of the length of the toenail, eighth of an inch. If they don't bleed and you're happy with it, leave it alone, and round it off.
3: Mhm, and then just build it back a little bit all the time. They are the, the old English, are, I yeah. think, are the longest ones. <laughs> but these are birds yeah, it's that are like a maintenance five thing, years you know, old
2: yeah it's it's kind of like a maintenance thing even myself when i forget to trim my fingernails they always remind me that i didn't do it when i reach out and touch something and and the nail slips off and breaks all the way back to the to the uh to the finger and then you pull it off and it starts to bleed so it reminds you very quickly that you need to get out your
3: <laughs>
2: and i've done, i've done that more times you shake a stick at so it, but it, it's the same thing if the fingernail just continue to grow right back and and uh you know left unchecked, they uh, they can grow quite long same thing same thing for chickens
3: okay okay so that really helps okay. me out all right thank you very much i appreciate it
2: you're welcome
0: great thanks for calling lisa we appreciate it as always um second question we have which we got via email what yep. is pasty butt and how do i prevent
2: it well, pasty butt is usually a stress factor, um, usually, um, but it also can be an indication of, uh, of E. coli, can be an indication of salmonella. Um, don't overstress the birds, don't overheat them, don't over chill them, um, don't allow overcrowding, uh, lack of food and water. Uh, all of those things contribute to, uh, to pasty butt. Um, Number of things can uh, can take care of it. Sometimes apple cider vinegar in the water is enough to to do it, depending on how long it's been going on. And you know, uh, but uh, oil of oregano for sure should help. Um, and then a combination of uh, neomycin, bacitracin, and oxytetracycline mixed together in the drinking water for about seven days usually will take care of it. But usually you can take care of it with these other things. Take the stress factor away, and uh, more than likely it'll go it'll go away on on its own uh but if it doesn't there there's a number of different things you can do sulfidimethoxine in the water, bearing in mind that the sulfidimethoxine, neomycin best uh, not the best trace but the neomycin and the oxytetracycline uh now fall under the prescription only thing cool
0: all right yeah and and uh again, plenty of room space for them as well. A lot of people just put them in a tiny yep. little shoebox. Oh, eh. Okay, let's see. Uh, what, eh, here we go. Uh, this is interesting. We've had this kind of before in the past. I don't have a ton of information, but I think when I, when we read the question, we'll know exactly kind of what she's talking about. I have a two-year-old hen. It's a New Hampshire with a bubbly eye. Um, I have her separated. What should my first step be?
2: That's hmm. all I got. Yeah, and usually um, bubbling in the eyes is an indication of of an upper respiratory uh, issue. Um, I can't tell her exactly what it would be, but I can tell her what I would do. Uh, I would get some Thailand 50 injectable, and I would take about a uh, um, half a cc of that and about 30 cc's of uh, sterile water. Uh, you can boil the water on the stove, let it come to relative room temperature. It can be warm, but you don't want it hot. And uh, mix that together with the, uh, the uh, half-cc or so of the Thailand 50 uh, in a paper cup. Pull it up in a syringe. Take the needle off the syringe. And then on these, uh, in, the, in the nostrils, you want to take this solution and backflush those nostrils. So you want to have the bird more or less upside down, neck straight out, mouth open, And then you're going to take that solution, put the syringe up to the nostril, and forcefully push it back through. It'll come out the nasal cleft and the roof of the mouth. And uh, do that a couple of times a day uh, and uh, see if that helps. Um, Giving a uh, um, half a cc or so of the um, Thailand 50 injectable uh, subcutaneously under the skin of the neck, For five to seven days uh, may help as well, Uh, as well as taking the Thailand 50 again, pulling a little bit up in a clean syringe, pull the needle off, pull the bottom uh, lid of the eye out, make a little cup, and put a drop or two of that Thailand 50 there, pull it up over the eye, hold it for 15 seconds, and do that a couple of times a day and see if that doesn't clear the issue up. If not, it's going to take something more than that to do it, and then uh, she can always call me. Very good. Very good. Okay, let me mark that one off the list
0: here. Um, ah, this is a great one. We hear this a lot. Um, how can I stop my hens from laying eggs from the roost? <laughs> they're getting up on the roost and laying They'll walk in there and find a, a broken egg below the roost and they're they're laying their <laughs> they're laying their eggs from the roost. This is not uncommon. We get this question, uh Quite a bit I see it wandering around in the in the forms and stuff um, obviously one one quick thing about the structure of your coop is you want to make sure the roosts are much higher uh, than the roost or the nest boxes otherwise a lot of times they'll sleep in the nest boxes but um, yeah the roost needs to be higher than the uh, the nest boxes but uh, how, other than that question over to you Peter how, how could she uh, stop her hens
2: from laying eggs from the roost I guess it depends on what time of of, of the day uh, the, the bird is laying the egg. You know, if it's a late layer, um, it's kind of out of sync with with you know with with uh, what's normal. Um, so let's go back and look at the nest box thing. Maybe there's too many uh, birds for the amount of nest boxes. So one methodology would be to um, put more nest boxes in. Um, you know, and if you've got birds that, you know, um, want to sleep in a nest box overnight, um, most commercial type nest boxes, uh, the front perch is meant to put up to keep the bird from getting in overnight. The problem with that is if you're not out there in, in the morning, you get a bunch of floor eggs. So, um, again, a lot of these things go back to management. Um, we often talk about, you know, coccidiosis being a management problem. It always is. It's, uh. It's uh, actually something that's relatively simple to control in most cases. Uh, you know, if you're on it and you pay attention to it right right from the beginning, it's when you ignore it or don't understand it that, you know, it becomes a real thorn uh, in, your, in your side. Same thing with, with this. Uh, it would be interesting to try and see if she could find the offender and then take the offender uh, and, uh, you know, put her in a nest box, maybe even lock her up in a nest box for a little bit and make her lay the egg there and try to... to um, Know, get in the habit of doing that, but I think increasing the nest box spacing uh, in other words uh, more nest boxes for the group uh she didn't say how how many uh, uh birds were involved here, nor how many nest boxes so we we really don't have any any way of knowing um, in in our case, we only had two or three hens, so I had one nest box which was actually quite sufficient and uh, these gals always got along pretty good, and they're they're bantams, and the two of them jumping one lay eggs together, so uh, it wasn't an issue for you know for us. And I will agree with you, the nest box lower and the uh, the perch much higher. That's the way we have them in our coop, um, and um, our our nest nest box is about it's an eight foot wall, I believe. It's probably less than halfway up the wall, but the roost is uh, probably uh, I'm um, 5'10. It's almost at eye level for me, so it's it's pretty high compared to the nest box, and uh, we just really never had a problem, and uh, never, never had an issue with with that type of thing. Got it. So, okay. Uh, cool, cool. cool. Okay. Let's see what we got here. Oh,
0: this is good. We get this quite a bit too. Uh, that's why I had chosen this one out of the pack um, after their molt. Um, I have one hen that still has a patch of feathers missing on her back. Help. So I, there's no follow-up like, have you checked for mites and lice and, you know, that to earth? Yeah. So a picking yeah. Pick,
2: a picking pecking we, problem. We, that just... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, we see this, you know, I won't say often, but enough. And um, it more than likely is a genetic problem. Uh, than anything else. Um, But a couple of things I would check, because it isn't always genetic. Um, I would check to make sure that there isn't pecking going on. Uh, I would make sure, uh, if they have a rooster, that that's not the problem. Um, I would also make sure that this particular bird is not being bullied uh, when she goes up to eat and drink and that kind of thing. Um, You know, mites can cause it. But usually, you know, the funny part about mites is one has them Usually, not always, but there's somebody else in the crowd that has it too. Um, you know, and unless there is a what we call a feather shaft mite, but then you generally see a lot more feathers out. So um, it might be nutritional, and um, you know, this bird's gone through a molt. Did you say how old they were at all? No, did not. Okay, so you know, an, an older bird, uh, you know, going through through a molt and coming out of the molt may require. Uh, you know, more protein, uh, you know, than the next bird for whatever reason, genetic reasons or, or otherwise. So I think I would try to, uh, to put, put a supplement in, uh, maybe some calf manna added to the feed, see if that doesn't help. Uh, maybe making sure that this bird gets her fair share. Because, you know, lots of times when people call me with bird issues and I'll say, um, you know, is the bird eating? Well, I saw it peck at some food. Well, pecking at food... And eating enough to sustain life uh, are two different things. And it's it's extremely important to make sure, you know, that a bird is consuming enough every day for its everyday well-being. Um, you know, birds that, uh, you know, if we want to put a bird into a molt, uh, we generally will, you know, pull feed away from them for 24 hours and maybe even water for 24 hours, and that will force them to... Uh, stop laying eggs and start molting and, and, and you know cut back the lights and that kind of thing. So <clears throat> I would I would um I would you know check the bird over for mites, I would check for bullying, uh feather picking because I have had clients who swore them down that the birds weren't being picked by anybody. They were all getting along, everybody was a happy camper and um one person put a uh, a camera up in the thing and lo and behold uh in in the evening, as they're, as i are sitting on the on the roof there, before it lights out, one's leaning over and pulling the feathers out. So um, it it does happen, even when you're you know when you think it doesn't happen. So I would check all those, all of those things first, and if they continue to have a problem, give me a holler. Great. Uh, it's coming up on top of the hour, so I'm going to go to a commercial
0: break. We'll come back and we'll do just a couple more. And we're talking sure. with Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor. And I uh, hope you're getting lots of great information from some of these questions. We've got uh, Yeah, we've got some good ones kind of related to that uh, that we just answered about the missing feathers. So stay with us. We'll be back right after this short break. want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver hen aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg's should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Come back, come back, back, come back,
1: come back, come back, come back, come back, 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 Feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com.
0: That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. Alrighty, thanks for staying with us today. Um, I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to omit... One of the questions we had via email, and go right to the phone lines. We have another caller calling in that's got a question for you, Peter, so we'll bring them on our caller calling in from area code 805805. Tell us your name and what state you're calling from, please.
1: Oh, it's 850. What did I say? 805, o- eight, eight, eight yeah.
0: yeah eight, must eight be. i got I, I got to go see my eye doctor again. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm calling in because I got yelled at to call in to ask a question, and I'm sitting here trying to think of a question. I'm going, "Oh right, I sent Peter an email five days ago that he hasn't gotten back to me." Copper sulfate. Did you get an email? What about it? Copper sulfate. Um, My birds like. Where did you
2: send your email to? Who, Who am I speaking to?
1: Isabel Featherstone. Oh, okay. Yeah, I sent you. Um, let's see. Um, copper sulfate because um, my birds really like it. I, n- I notice when I do give that give it to them. Um, you know, aside from using, I lo- they love the oregano oil and the turmeric is going really well too. They love it. And um, but um, I noticed that they also like copper sulfate too. How many? Okay, so I give it to them, say about four days, a quarter teaspoon, a gallon of water.
2: Hmm.
1: Um. How safe is it to use frequently? Can I use it once a month for a few days in a row?
2: Yeah, I have, peop- I have, I have, uh, I have a lot of people that use it every day. <clears throat> I don't think it's necessary to use every day, but um, I don't have a problem with it being done for four or five days every other week. Not a big deal. Oh, okay. This has okay, changed a little bit. It's acidified copper sulfate, and I don't remember all the rhyme and reason why, what the difference is, but it's different than like just plain copper sulfate. This is acidified. It yeah, acidified you know, goes copper into solution, sulfate, right?
1: The blue, the blue powder.
2: Yeah, they call it. Used to the old terminology, the old days, uh, it's called bluestone.
1: Bluestone. Yeah, I've read. You know, like you said, you have people that do it every day. Because I've read. You know, of course. You know all of the stuff on the internet, and I've read conflicting things that they don't use it because it could cause mouth sores. Um,
2: um, I don't. I don't think that. Um, I. I can tell you this. I. I know people who use it uh, at a quarter of a teaspoon in a gallon of water, uh, you know, every day in their birds, and they've never had an issue. Uh, That's some be, of the healthiest can be, birds.
1: Can that be mixed with the oregano oil also.
2: I don't see any reason why not. There's no conflict between the two that I'm aware of.
1: Okay. Okay. And um, what else was I thinking? Now, what are the what are the what are the benefits of um, copper sulfate other than being like an antibacterial? Is it help with like fungal yeast? Um, uh,
2: well, it, it, first off, it changes the pH of the gut. It acidifies it. So any, it, okay. it's not geared towards any one specific thing, in my opinion. It's going to change, you know, change it to a more acidic environment and those are things that don't like in acidic environments are going to bail out and and that's what a lot of people uh use it use it for strictly you know uh, control of uh of issues uh in in the gut um, it's an old tool that was been used uh a zillion times uh uh and still used to this day by people in in the game foul industry um, it's kind of okay. like chick okay. uh okay. P- pigeons, pigeon people use uh, a lot of teas and baths and all that kind of stuff. And uh, um, what the heck was the one that they used to use? Um, potassium permanganate when it was available. Now you can't get it without going through the uh, think the, uh, the Bureau of Tobacco Firearms and everything else because people can use it for <coughs> bad purposes. But it used to be readily available and it turns the water purple and they would give their birds baths and that kind of stuff, and they would drink it, and it was beneficial for, it? for them. Wow, okay. Yep, yep. And what was
1: that supposed yep. to As be? As a matter of fact, bath.
2: it was part of the fumigation process in hatcheries before they outlawed using formaldehyde. So when chicks were hatching in a hatcher, you would put a stainless steel pan in there with the potassium permanganate in it, and then you would dump some formaldehyde, and it would turn it into an instant gas. And uh, that killed all the bacteria uh, and so on. Wow. So, uh, but, no, it, it's it's a I, I don't, you know, I mean, I have never seen it be, be a problem. Now, I, I know that um, I read a paper years ago uh, that, you know, there were some issues with some royal chickens uh, uh, with, uh, you know, copper sulfate. But it didn't say acidified copper sulfate. It said strictly copper sulfate.
1: Okay. And that yeah, had to do with the, the, what I have is the packet you can get from Jeffers Vet Supply, the acidified copper sulfate. So and yeah, that's, I, that's all
2: I ever sell is the same, the same stuff. You know, it's all the same. Once it's acidified, it's it's different. I don't remember the chemical process to how they get there, but
1: uh, it's, I know it's not a big seller.
2: It's not a big mover. Not a lot of people use it. Um, but I, don't, I, I still, again, go back and you know, there's no reason you shouldn't use it.
1: I personally, I noticed my birds benefit it benefit from it much better than apple cider vinegar.
2: Mhm. Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah. And um, okay. particularly li- particularly living in in the harsh climate here in Florida, you know where you get you know the moist, wet atmosphere where bacteria and, and fungus mm-hmm. and everything tends to proliferate. And apple cider vinegar just doesn't just doesn't do the job here. And like I said, that's why well I I started using the oregano oil and I noticed the one thing the times that I have used the acidified copper sulfate, it's, it's been a huge benefit. So if I can, you know, work with the two of those together, um, I, you know, my birds they love it. So I
2: think I, so. I think I'd rotate them around. I don't, think, I don't think I'd see a problem with that.
1: Okay, okay.
2: That way you keep the bases covered all, all, all the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, and looking at the weather we had here just this past weekend and everything is still the air is just I mean it's just everything's wet.
2: And yeah, we had rain again today too. We're, in, we're just oh. up the coast from you. We got the same stuff. So
1: yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, a lot of fun. But anyway, well, thank you. So yeah, um, right. I'll go ahead and resend that email back to back to you too because there was that other questions too um, about all that other information. Okay. Too, but no. Um, so <laughs> so got my send it back in. to me. Okay. Awesome. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye.
0: You're right. welcome. Bye. Alrighty, very good. That's going to wrap it up here today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And so glad that we had uh, Peter back on today and open mic, which is always awesome. And um, thanks to our callers. And all the people who sent emails in with these questions and post them on our Facebook page, that was great. We appreciate you. And uh, if you have any questions, uh, if you had a question and in more in-depth more in or follow-up, then you can contact Peter, um, as he stated uh on the show. So, Peter, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, we look forward to seeing you back. Uh, let's see, got February, late February. It'll be prime chick season, actually, in a lot of the warmer states, so we'll uh, probably have a lot more. Well, uh, we'll pick out a really great topic related to uh, uh, chick days, sure. uh, chick days events. So, uh, I appreciate it. You take care, and okay. thanks for coming on. All
2: right, Danny, thanks. Appreciate it. Thank, bye bye.
0: Thank you. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, we're looking forward to, wow, well, let's see, next uh, Thursday is the 2nd of February, and it looks like we'll have poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McCray on then. And then on the 9th, it looks like we're going to have Dr. Petesky and then we bring Bridget back on, and then we have Peter on again towards the end of uh, February. So uh, make sure you mark your calendars, get that Chicken Whisperer notebook out, and join us and um, learn a lot about your Backyard flock. All right, that's gonna wrap it up. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week right here on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. God's-